Welcome to the Leaf by Lantern podcast, a show for Christian artists who want to retell fairy tales in the light of scripture. We'll discuss how to approach retelling a fairy tale according to the truth and beauty of the Bible, from ethical issues to images like rose gardens and dragon hordes. I'm your host, Alicia Pollard. Hi, everyone. I've set this episode aside to talk about some basic principles for retelling fairy tales. I want to address this craft as translation rather than a relocation of images and action. I put this episode together because I realized as I was preparing this season that some of the things I wanted to talk about later made more sense in their own dedicated episode. So to begin with, a fairy tale is a very specific genre with unique parameters. It's not the same thing as a short story, a novel, a play, a poem, an opera, any other literary or musical form. So when you retell a fairy tale, you're translating the images and action from one medium to another. So think of it like taking a stained glass window, which is flat and translucent and colorful, and turning it into a live action movie. You're going to approach that thoughtfully and carefully, and the images and structure are just not going to be the same in the new form, which is good. That's exactly why you retell something. What makes a fairy tale a fairy tale, the the classifications, the, the identifying marks, is part of the study of folklore, because folklorists are partly organizers. They'll say, what's a legend versus an allegory versus a fable versus a myth, etc. I'm more interested in the craft of storytelling itself than the categories of folklore, but they are very important. So I'll reference the work of just one scholar, Max Luthi, the Swiss folklorist, and I'll put more links to other folklore scholarship in the show notes if you want to know more about um, how you can research there. So in his book, The European Folktale, Form and Nature, Luthi outlines five main characteristics that identify a fairy tale, in his opinion, and I, I like his work a lot. He talks about one-dimensionality, depthlessness, the abstract style, isolation and universal interconnection, and sublimation and all-inclusiveness. I'll discuss each of these briefly and then talk about how you can translate that characteristic of the fairy tale genre into a new medium when you retell it. First principle, one-dimensionality. Fairy tales are one-dimensional. The ordinary and the marvelous happen within the same dimension. There's no crossover from the everyday known world into a strange world. It just all happens in the same space. Two things here. One-dimensionality is a word translated from German, and I'm sorry, I can't pronounce German, so I'll put it in the show notes, but it's an English equivalent of, of a word from another language. Secondly, it sounds negative. It sounds like a criticism. Oh, fairy tales are so one-dimensional. But this is simply the genre. It's they're, They are what they are. And so the one-dimensionality of fairy tales, as well as these other characteristics, they're the strength of fairy tales and one of the reasons they're so attractive. But anyway, according to Luthi, fairy tales are distinct from legends in this way, that they're one-dimensional. In a legend, characters will often be in the ordinary world, and there will be this otherworldly realm, and they cross over in a portal or a magic door in some special way into that otherworldly realm where otherworldly things happen. In a fairy tale, Magical things just happen. Normal animals start talking. Random people show up and give the hero gifts or advice. Strange things happen and no one is surprised. 
So Luthi says, quote, all fear of the numinous is absent. In a legend, people are horrified if an animal begins to speak. The folktale hero who meets with speaking animals wins or stars, evinces neither astonishment or fear. He lacks all sense of the extraordinary. To him, everything belongs in the same dimension, end quote. So in other words, in a fairy tale, the mundane and the magical sit side by side without boundaries. When you retell a fairy tale, you need to adapt this one dimensionality, this sense that astonishing things can happen, but they don't astonish the characters, to your chosen medium by making a consistent and sensical world. Surprising or marvelous things can surprise your audience and characters, but not enough that they shock the audience out of their suspension of disbelief. The theological principle behind this idea of consistency is creation, because God made a world of order, rhythm, and beauty that's still there, even in its fallen state. In other words, he's faithful. After flooding the world, God promised to never curse the ground or strike down every living creature again. He says in Genesis 8, 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So your fictional world can be wild, wonderful, whimsical, perilous, and intricate, but it needs to have the cadence of seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, in some consistent form, somehow that makes sense to your reader. Most people understand that a fantasy world needs to be consistent. World building and the rules of fantasy worlds are a huge topic, at least in the creative writing world and others. So take this principle of consistency to mean that your world also needs the beauty of the times and seasons, which are predictable, but they're never boring. I'm thinking especially there of C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, Letter 25, which discusses the order and rhythm, or the rhythm and change, I think is the words he used, of creation, which is beautiful. Brandon Sanderson, who's a fantasy and sci-fi author, is famous for fantastic world building with complicated but consistent rules. His book, Tress of the Emerald Sea, which came out recently, is one of my favorites. And he created a world of non-liquid oceans. Yes, that that non-liquid oceans ruled by 12 moons. And there's much more to it. It's, it's even more wonderful than that, but I'll just leave it there. I, I remember reading in the afterword, he said, I've wanted to write about a world of non-liquid oceans for a while, which is just, just a wonderful aspiration. So as wild as that is, just to start off with non-liquid oceans, 12 moons, as soon as I learned the basic principles of the world, which he is careful to outline in his first few chapters, I was in. I was ready for the adventure. I got it. Readers will adapt to a crazy world very, very quickly and be willing to engage with it and discuss it and think about it and ponder very soon, as, as long as you make it clear what's going on and the rules are consistent. So that's the first principle of creating a fairy tale retelling. Take the one dimensionality of a fairy tale, the world of unexplained wonders, and make a consistent world in your retelling. And also, I would say, a beautiful world. Second principle, depthlessness, which is hard to say, or that fairy tales lack depth. Max Luthi begins by contrasting the physical objects that you read about in legends versus in fairy tales. He says that in general, the objects of legend are, quote, utensils of daily life, kettles, pans, jugs, mugs, 
coulters, finely tailored shoes, garments, balls of yarn, cowbells, skittle balls, loaves of bread, all objects of pronounced spatial depth. But the folktale most often shows as staffs, rings, keys, swords, rifles, animal hairs, feathers, figures without depth, that even have a tendency towards linearity, end quote. He also goes into the fact that the characters lack depth in a fairy tale. They're, they're flat psychologically. They don't seem to have memories. They don't seem to have past wounds. They definitely don't learn from their mistakes. They, they'll make those over and over. And physically, again, lack of depth. They can be wounded. Someone can up and lose a hand and there's no recovery time. There's no trauma. They just walk off and, and do the next thing. I looked at this concept of depthlessness in the historical narratives of scripture. The historical narratives of scripture are pretty terse, depending on the author. They don't have a lot of the elaborate descriptions we'd have in modern writing, but they give exactly the right details for the story to make sense physically and spiritually. For example, 1 Samuel 15, 26 through 29, the prophet Samuel speaks to the first king of Israel, Saul. Saul has just offered a sacrifice that he should not have offered. He was supposed to wait for Samuel and he didn't. And so he, he disobeyed. Quote, and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. End quote. In this passage, I see physical and spiritual depth. I see an object, the skirt of Samuel's robe, which works on a physical and spiritual level. It's three-dimensional, it's historical fact, it can be torn, but it also symbolizes the kingdom being torn away from Saul. Note that different genres of scripture are going to treat objects differently. The dreams of Joseph and Daniel, the poetry and wisdom sections of the Bible, the parables of the Lord Jesus, and the apocalyptic literature of Revelation, those are all different. They're their own studies, and I didn't have time to get into that with just one episode. But historical narratives, physical and spiritual depth. So how do you translate the depthlessness of a fairy tale when you retell it? I would say, see if you can turn depthlessness into depth using concrete details and language. Well-crafted art is concrete and specific, rooted in a particular time, place, and people, and it appeals to the audience's five senses as much as possible. J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings does this deepening work masterfully. He, it's so rooted in the English culture and countryside. Sam Gamgee's father is called the gaffer, it's a very English term. There are waistcoats and mushrooms and pubs and birthday parties, all these specific details, many more, and those make the magic and poetry of the whole book all the more real. My writing teacher, Jonathan Rogers, has taught and written extensively on the art of writing concretely, or as he calls it, writing close to the earth, and he draws on the wisdom of Flannery O'Connor. So rather than just go on and on myself, I'll direct you to his teaching, which is excellent, and I'll put a link in the show notes. That was the first two principles of retelling as translation. One dimensionality needs to become consistent world building, and depthlessness needs to become depth. The next three principles are more complicated. They took longer for me to understand. So I'll give a broader overview. I won't get into everything that Luthi talked about and try to give more examples. So these next three are abstract style, isolation and universal interconnection, and sublimation and all-inclusiveness.
So, third principle, abstract style. Fairy tales are flat. Like abstract paintings, they have clear outlines and vivid colors. They're also extremely simple. Luther talks about they have no detailed descriptions, usually. He says, quote, as a rule, only one attribute goes with each noun. A town made all of iron, a big house, a big dragon, the young king, a bloody struggle, end quote. He also points out that folktales use min metals and minerals a lot, gold, silver, iron, copper, glass. And instead of blended or muted colors and hues, quote, the folktale prefers clear, ultra-pure colors, gold, silver, red, white, black, and sometimes blue. Though green, the color of living nature is strikingly rare, end quote. It's very interesting. The effect of all these bright, sharp things is the beauty of extreme contrast. The abstract style of the fairy tale extends to the plot as well. Characters take long, sudden journeys, they have a set number of impossible tasks, and even the fact that they face abrupt and brutal consequences if they fail, such as, as beheading. So how do you translate this abstract style of sharp contrasts and clear outlines and vivid extremes when you retell a fairy tale? This one is tricky since it depends on your artistic style, which is unique. You could have the simplicity and sweetness of A.A. Milne's prose and Winnie the Pooh. I was reading that recently. The vivid colors of Vincent van Gogh, the exquisite language of Shakespeare's plays, so many other forms and styles, and that will be your own. I'll say here briefly, this is where I'm struggling as a writer, determining my style, determining what I will and will not do, what level of detail and, and ling the linguistic choices I'm making. So trying to advise, but also th this is where I'm struggling as well. But I looked at scripture and I did notice something that I hope will be helpful. When you translate the abstract style of a fairy tale and you're determining what style you want to use in your artwork, look at the passages of scripture. One of the principles of studying scripture is that first look at the structure of the passage look at the details the action the dialogue the language what are what's included and in what order as the charles simeon trust society puts it this is a society that teaches bible preachers and teachers the structure of the passage reveals the author's emphasis so however you craft your retelling use your style to shape your emphasis what details and information action are you going to include and in what order based on what you want the audience to pay attention to. Where do you want to direct their gaze? For example, look at the book of Exodus. The end of the book of Exodus has pages and pages, chapters and chapters, uh, lots and lots of complex and specific instructions for the design of the tabernacle of Israel, the types of sacrifices, the design of the altar, blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine twine linen, the bronze basin, the clothing of the priests, incense, so on. Or even look at First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. There's a series of kings. This king was born here. His reign was this long. He did good in the eyes of the Lord, evil in the eyes of the Lord. Some of these kings have a paragraph of description. Their whole reign might be 40 years, might be 10. And then other kings, and this is not dependent on the length of their reign, but on, on who the king is and what he did. Others have very long narratives with lots of description. And all of these are included for the historical, literary, and theological purpose of the passage. What the author and the Holy Spirit guiding the author wants us to pay attention to.
So that's the third principle. Sorry it's so vague, but this is where I'm struggling myself as a writer. Translate the abstract style of the fairy tale to a style, whatever it is, detailed, non-detailed, elaborate, simple, something that directs the gaze of your audience where you want it to go. Fourth principle, isolation and universal interconnection. Max Luthi says that fairy tales have this sense of isolation. Quote, the characters depicted in folk tales have no inner life, no environment, no relationship to past or future generations, no relationship to time. End quote. This ties back to depthlessness a bit because the characters have no psychological depth. But think of this not in, sen in the spatial sense of depth, but in the sense of being cut off. They, they seem cut off from their past. They don't carry past wounds. They don't build relationships, those connections. Not really, anyway. We just see the bare outline. They don't seem to learn from their mistakes. They make a lot of those. They barely stop to feel things, and they just go and do things. Fairy tales are episodic, and the episodes are isolated from each other. They just happen one after another in sequence with almost exact repetition. Three doors, three tasks, three enemies, and the hero will often face them almost the exact same way each time. However, along with that isolation, the fairy tale has universal interconnection because it's all one tale. The isolated characters and episodes are united and connected by what Luthi calls an invisible hand so that the tale is a whole. So how do you translate this when you're retelling a fairy tale? Isolation and universal interconnection. I think that isolation needs to become connection so that the connectedness of the whole story is stronger. To begin with, your characters need families, histories, pasts, and psychological journeys, however much detail you choose to share about your main character versus other characters. I thought about this in relation to the life of Christ told in the Gospels, because in a way, the Lord Jesus is isolated. He is the only being in the universe who's fully God and fully man. Isaiah 53 talks about his, his isolation from humankind and his suffering. Quote, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. End quote. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was isolated. He went to the cross alone. There were people around him, but he, he was alone in that suffering. The episodes of the Gospels, the individual stories that we know about, they can feel isolated when you read them like a fairy tale. The Lord Jesus goes over here, he does this miracle, and then he goes over there and teaches this parable. He goes over to some other place and casts out demons and so on. Yet, at the same time, the life of Christ is a story of connection and continual growth. The Lord Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are one the highest communion, the most profound connection in reality. Throughout his life, he's building from his incarnation to his death, resurrection, and ascension. He's working his way geographically around Israel and Samaria in ways we can map. He's revealing more truths about himself and salvation, building relationships with his disciples and followers, and making the Jewish leadership angrier and angrier uh, as time goes on. Spiritually, the Lord Jesus used his isolation, his unique stature, to connect himself with us. His genealogy on the human side, straight from Adam, is the story of God's interventions in human history, and the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection mean that we become part of his family.
John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, end quote. To be clear, I'm not criticizing the fairy tale structure of isolation and universal interconnection. It's not inherently wrong. It's not inherently flawed. This is one way of telling a story. But in this present time, to our modern audience, we're not used to stories that are isolated in that way. Most retellings created today will use narrative styles in which the characters are connected to past and present, to place and to each other. I would look to Christ and the Gospels as an example of this kind of connection, of progressive narrative growth that builds towards your happy ending and towards victory. I'll give you an example from fantasy as well. I thought of Emily Rhoda's series of books, three books, her trilogy, The Golden Door. So to summarize, and also to leave a lot out to avoid spoilers, there are three doors told of in these books, the gold door, the silver door, and the wooden door. And our hero has to choose which one to go through to go on the quest to, I won't get into it, but he has to go on a quest. Rai, the main character, is sweet and small and humble. He's a bit like a hobbit. And when it comes time to go on a quest, he knows that the wooden door is his. It fits him. It belongs to him. Um, it's a really good way of characterizing that, that he feels that right away. But before he can do that, go through his own door, he has to go rescue his two older brothers, which is a very, very fairy tale thing to do, the youngest, um, going to rescue the other two. He knows that his oldest brother, who's bold and strong and courageous, would definitely have gone through the gold door. So he has to go through that first. He knows that his second brother, who is a little quieter, more intellectual, a bit sly, would definitely have gone through the silver door. So in the book series, Rai goes through the golden door, and then the silver door, and then the wooden door. In a fairy tale, those would be isolated episodes with almost exact repetition. In Emily Rhoda's fantasy, it's a story of building and growth. Rai grows as a person. He builds relationships. He, he becomes more mature. And the entire world, talk about good world building, she is fantastic. The, the entire world has many more secrets to it and unexpected things that are slowly and gradually revealed until you get the big picture. So that's one way to unify the isolation and strengthen or build on the universal interconnection of a fairy tale when you retell it. Make the characters connected and the whole tale connected, building towards your happy ending. The fifth and last principle is sublimation and all-inclusiveness. This is the hardest one for me to grasp, and it feels a bit like it summarizes the others, but I think, I think we can learn from it as well. So sublimation and all-inclusiveness. As a reminder, to sublimate is a chemical term. It means to transform something from a solid straight into a gas without going through the liquid stage. And Luthi is using it metaphorically here to talk about how fairy tales use and approach images and motifs. So he says a fairy tale takes and sublimates motifs from both the real world and the numinous. Normal things like marriage, childbearing, dancing, and then magical things like dragons and spells. It sublimates all of them and puts them into one story. All the motifs and action is related matter-of-factly without shock or horror or awe, charms and spells, the occasional extreme violence, ordinary or magical travel, impossible tasks, talking animals, it all just happens cleanly and smoothly. 
The effect of sublimation and all-inclusiveness is that there's no numinous in a fairy tale. The worldly and the otherworldly, the homely and the uncanny, they're all just there and they just happen and no one is surprised. He says, quote, the way that all folktale motifs are emptied of their usual substance is both an advantage and a disadvantage. The folktale loses in concreteness and realism, in nuance and in fullness of content, and an ability to express the deeper dimension of human experience and relationships, but it gains in formal definition and clarity. Emptying, the German word there is entleerung, sorry, German speakers, also means sublimation. All elements become pure, light, and transparent, and join in an effortless interplay that includes all the important themes of human existence. The folktale's power of sublimation allows it to incorporate the world. The folktale becomes world-encompassing, end quote. So how do you translate this when you, when you do a retelling, sublimation and all-inclusiveness? I can think of one particular way to take this. Take the matter-of-factness and the lack of surprise of a fairy tale and turn it into wonder. Incorporate the numinous and the extraordinary in your art by giving your characters a sense of awe. Some of the most beautiful and, and sweet and reverent passages of scripture are when characters turn to God and all he has done and they worship. Like Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. And the psalm continues from there. In chemistry, the opposite of sublimation is deposition. So sublimation is a solid to a gas, and deposition is a gas to a solid. So frost, the formation of frost, is an example. If a fairy tale sublimates all things so that they're equally light and weightless, in your retelling, you can do the opposite. You can do the work of deposition and let your audience feel how heavy, how glorious and good it is to be alive in God's world with concrete description and with your characters pausing to be full of awe. So those are my thoughts on how to translate Max Luthi's five principles of what makes a fairy tale a fairy tale into a fairy tale retelling. Translate one dimensionality into a consistent world. Translate depthlessness into depth. Translate an abstract style into some style of your choice that guides the audience's attention. Translate isolation and all-inclusiveness into narrative development and growth. And last, translate sublimation and all-inclusiveness into wonder. Thanks for joining. Join next time to learn more about retelling fairy tales according to the truth and beauty of the Bible.